You can turn to Matthew chapter 24, if you will. Matthew chapter 24. I misspoke a, a few minutes ago. I said UPS. I think it was actually FedEx that I was talking about that uh, is shipping that box. I forgot that Brother Brandon actually works for UPS, and uh, he's a driver. So uh, it's not UPS. It's not UPS. It's FedEx. It's FedEx. Those lazy people at FedEx can't deliver a box for nothing. I'm kidding. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to get into this passage here in a second, but there's a whole lot that's going on in our world today, right? A lot of people are getting nervous because of the whole Russian aggression into Ukraine, and there's a lot of real world ramifications, and you know, we're, I think a lot of people are, not, not, not only are people scared of everything that's happened with COVID and all of that stuff, and now that whole fear is starting to subside because, you know, the CDC loosened the guidelines and everything else. Now we have another thing that we're, that we're all afraid of. And what's, what's Russia going to do? And how is that going to affect us financially? And how is that going to change, you know, the way that we live our lives? And what's it going to do to the gas prices and the food prices and all of these other things? And if it gets any farther, are they going to start bombing us here in the United States? And there's just a lot of fear that, that, that swirls around all of that kind of stuff and the uncertainty uh, I hear a whole lot of people talking about the fact that this means that Christ can now come back because of all the things that are going on, right? Oh, this means Jesus is coming. Uh, the, the, the truth is that even the New Testament Christians expected Jesus Christ to come at any moment. And boy, you could look at uh, probably 20 passages in the New Testament that they pointed specifically to the fact that, hey, be ready, Jesus Christ could come today. That was 2,000 years ago. In fact, people at Corinth were, this is, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote under divine inspiration. They thought he was coming then. The people of Thessalonica, here's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come right? To wait for the, we got saved, we turned from idols, we turned to Jesus Christ, and now we're waiting for him to come back and get us, right? He'd only been gone for a couple years at that point, but they were expecting Jesus Christ to come back. They knew his coming could be at any moment. Writing to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse number 20, Paul said, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Paul himself was continually looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. He had in mind here the time of the rapture when he would have a changed body. He said, we. He's talking about the fact that he himself, we're looking for Jesus Christ to come back. That was back in the New Testament. Everybody wants to talk about the end times, and I, I hear the sound of prophecy fulfilled, right? You heard, you heard that song. And then they sit back in a rocking chair on the porch and rejoice while they look toward the eastern sky. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing that. We should be looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the more things in this world get into an upheaval, the more things get uncertain, the more it looks like Jesus Christ could come back. It's not a time to sit back and relax and say, I hope he comes today. Although we should be, it's a time to get busy for God. It's a time to say, man, time is short. We don't have a lot of time left to make our lives count for Jesus Christ. I hope he comes today. He may not come for another 20 years. We have no idea when Jesus Christ is coming back, but he could come today. He could come today. My friend, all of this should compel us to greater and nobler actions in the trenches of trying to win souls for the cause of Jesus Christ, trying to be as right with God as we possibly can because he could come back today. Let me take a few minutes this morning to share with you the idea that this could be the day. 
We sing that song at the end of every Sunday night service. This could be the day that Jesus Christ comes back. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. This is Jesus Christ talking. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back. He's sitting there at the right hand of the Father waiting for him to say, all right, go get my children. And I can imagine that, you know, uh, I mean, Jesus is probably not like us in the way that, you know, we're, we're waiting, especially like kids at Christmas, waiting to open a present. And boy, I can't wait to see what's in there. And I can't wait for Christmas Day to show up so we can finally open those presents. And I'm not saying that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father in exactly that situation. But I can imagine that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father saying, Today? Can I go now? Can I go get my children? He's waiting, but he doesn't even know when he's coming back. Verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if a good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Boy, you think about what happened in the days of Noah. Noah warned them for 120 years, the flood's coming, destruction is coming, and they didn't believe him. They laughed at him. They mocked him. They said, we've never seen rain before. What do you mean water's going to fall from the sky? There's no such thing as rain. You're crazy, Noah. You're building a gigantic boat nowhere close to water. How do you expect to get that thing down to the lake? How do you expect to get that thing in, 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 in where it can float? And Noah said, judgment's coming. Rain's going to come down from the sky. Water is going to fall from the sky, and you're going to drown. And they laughed at him until the day that Noah and his family went in the ark, and God shut the door. And even then, the Bible says, they didn't even know that judgment was coming until that rain started to fall. And then you can imagine the first drop that hit them on the face from the sky that they had to think Noah was right, and now it's too late. And I can imagine that they were banging on the door of that ark saying, no, we believe you now. Let us in. We believe you. Everything that you said. I know we called you crazy, but we believe you. Let us in. And Noah said, I can't. God shut the door. There is no more entering into the ark. And as that water continued to come down and the flood started rising and that boat lifted up off the ground and started to float away. And they're trying to get to the highest point that they could get in those mountains or wherever else they could get away from that water. And eventually the water washed over every single one of them and they all perished in that flood. And the Bible says, you think about a man that's, that is, that is uh, trying to protect his house against a, a thief. If he had known when that thief is coming, he'd probably be sitting at the door with that shotgun just waiting for him to open that door up. I dare you to open the door. But he doesn't know when that thief is coming, so he's not sitting there waiting. And that's exactly the way the Bible says Jesus is going to come. He's going to come as a thief in the middle of the night. He's not going to announce himself and say, hey, I'm coming in five minutes. You better get ready. He's just going to break in through that eastern sky. The trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to be changed in the image of Jesus Christ if we know him as our Savior, and we're going to be left if we don't. And all of those people that heard the, the preacher saying, Jesus Christ is coming back. You better be ready. Jesus Christ is coming. And they say, what, what fools? Nobody's ever come down from the sky before. Jesus has never come down from heaven. What a crazy thing to say. But they're going to hear that trumpet. 
And they're going to see all of those that are saved be taken up into the sky. And then they're going to know. If they've heard that message before, they're going to know they were right. And they're going to say, I believe you now. Take us with you. But it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. I'm telling you this morning, this could be the day that Jesus Christ comes back. Let me take just a few minutes to share this idea with you this morning. I want to take it in a few directions with you. We'll pray and you'll understand hopefully what I mean as we get into the message. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. I pray that saved and unsaved alike would be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. And I pray that it would be today that he'd come back for us. Pray that you give us something from the message that we can take and use in our hearts this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, let me speak a moment to my friends in here this morning that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Do not have 100% certainty of their eternal destiny. This could be the day that you get saved. You know, has there been a moment in your life when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you, have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ for forgiveness from that sin? That's what being saved is. That's what knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior is. Sin cannot enter heaven, and without someone to cover that sin, you cannot get into heaven. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. Sure, there's a wonderful prospect of heaven for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and there's the horrifying prospect of hell for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. God would not have spoken so much about heaven and hell if he did not want to use that as motivations for us to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But the bigger question is, have you accepted or rejected the death of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for your sins? There is no middle ground. You've either accepted Jesus Christ or you've rejected him. I didn't reject him. I just haven't accepted him yet. No, you've rejected him if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The fact is that Jesus did die. He doesn't go to the cross every single time someone accepts him as their Savior, die on that cross and pay for their sins. He already did that. The sin has already been paid for. Your punishment has already been taken care of. He took that punishment for you already when he died on the cross. Now what he's waiting for you to do is either accept him or continue to reject him. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, make no mistake, you are continuing to reject Jesus Christ. The payment has already been made. The question is whether or not you're going to accept or reject it. Let's say Brother Bill decides that he wants to buy me a car. So he marches down to the car dealership with that large wad of cash that he carries with him all the time. And he's just looking to do something that he, he's just looking to do something with. And so he decides, you know what, I'm going to go buy Pastor that Toyota Tacoma that he wants. And he, he marches down to that car dealership, and he pulls out that big wad of cash and uses about half of it to pay for that car. And he drops that thing down on the counter, and he says, that's the Toyota Tacoma I want. He signs the papers, he puts it in my name, and then he walks out, and he calls me. And I actually answer the phone this time, and he says, hey, pastor, I got a car that I bought for you. All you need to do is apologize for ignoring my call last week and then go down and pick up that car. It's yours. It's in your name. I've already paid for it. Everything's taken care of. I just need you to apologize to me, and I need you to go pick up the car. And then he says this, and by the way, I've started a timer, and when that timer goes off, the deal's off. Well, now I've got a decision to make. How much time do I have, Brother Bill? How much time? I can't tell you how much time you have. 
But when that timer goes off, the deal's off. And I started to think, well, now, now I have a choice to make. The payment's already been made. It's my truck. I just need to humble myself and tell him I'm sorry and then go down and claim it. But I start coming up with excuses. Well, ignoring his call isn't that bad. Why do I need to apologize for ignoring his call? That's not that big of a thing, right? Or maybe I go the opposite way and I say, man, that was, that was really a horrible thing that I did to him, ignoring his call like that. There's no way that, that I, I, I don't deserve that pickup truck. I ignored his call. And, and even if I say that I'm sorry, there's no way that that's, that's good enough for, for me to go get that truck that he bought for me, right? I started to think of all the other things I need to do because I know I have time, or at least I think I do. I'm assuming that Brother Bill's not going not to be a tyrant. And so he's probably going to set that timer to at least a couple weeks, right? Maybe even a couple months and maybe even a few years. I don't, I don't know how long I have, but I know, I, I know I've probably got some time. So I, I've got a lot of other things that I need to do first. I don't have time to go down there and pick up that truck. And I'm still trying to decide if I'm going to apologize to Brother Bill for ignoring his call or not. But I got time. I'll just wait. You know what? I'll do it tomorrow. I'll go down there and I'll... I'll, I'll call him, and I'll apologize, and I'll go pick up that truck tomorrow. But how often those who are unsaved do the exact same thing? I'm not that bad. Or maybe they go the other way and say, you know what, I'm, I'm too bad. I, I don't deserve that. Jesus died on the cross for me, but there's no way that he would ever forgive me. Do you know what I've done? Does anybody know how bad I really am? Jesus Christ would never forgive me for those things. What will my friends think? Will I have to admit that I'm a sinner? Well, I don't, I don't know how much time is left, but I know the timer's not up yet, so I'll accept Jesus Christ tomorrow. You would say, man, Brother Bill bought you that truck. He paid for it. He left a wad of cash on that counter so you didn't have to. Why wouldn't you just say, I'm sorry, and go get the truck? It's yours. Why would you wait? Uh -uh. Why wouldn't you go down there today and pick that truck up? May I call your attention to a parable of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. You're there in Matthew 24. Go over to the next page. Because I'll tell you this, my friend, the timer might expire tonight. You don't know when that timer's going to go off. And the deal of a lifetime is left sitting on the table with your name on it, with your bill already paid. Sacrifice has already been made. waiting for the timer to stop. That's what happened with these ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Verse number one, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Death will come as a thief in the night. And if death should come and find you sleeping and find you without Christ, then my friends, it's too late. 
And oh, those who are already in the marriage supper were probably saying, boy, I wish we could go out, but there's nothing we can do. The door's already been closed. You should have prepared for it before it happened. And oh, Jesus Christ gives us this life to accept him as our Savior. And when this life is over, it's too late. You can no longer go back and say, you know what? I made a mistake. Let me accept him now. It's too late. It's too late. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The book of 2 Peter was written primarily with that in mind, to stir up the people, reminding them of the promises of the apostles and the prophets, talking about the coming of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He's saying, the apostles have been saying that Jesus Christ is coming, and that was 2,000 years ago, and ever since they died, everybody's been saying the same thing. Where's he at? If he's coming, where is he? He's not here yet. And they scoff, and they laugh, and they mock, and they say, oh, ha, ha, Jesus is coming, isn't he? Where is he then? And then follows in verse number nine, the inspired explanation of why the coming of Jesus Christ has been postponed. We see in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ did not go back on his promise. His promise still stands. He is still coming. But the reason he's delayed his coming is because there are those who still do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and he's so long-suffering that he's given you another chance. He's given you another opportunity to accept him as your Savior. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is at hand, and it's only God's mercy that delays his coming so that other people might be saved. Notice this, that's the scoffers and unbelievers who are not going to believe that the Savior is likely to come soon. These scoffers and unbelievers, the Bible says, walk after their own lust. We see that in verse number three. They don't believe in direct creation and other miracles of God, as it says in verse number five. Don't be counted among the scoffers. Believe the word of God that Jesus Christ is coming. We believe that he's coming very soon. We believe that he could come at any moment. Jesus Christ has made a way for you to go to heaven. And I'd love to have the opportunity to take the Bible and show you how you can know for sure that Jesus Christ is your savior. Don't put it off. This could be the day of your salvation. Number two, this could be the day that you get right. Turn over to Luke chapter 21. The coming of Jesus Christ is at hand. And I don't know when he's coming. He may, he may come in another 2,000 years. It might be like, like the apostles that we say, look at everything. Everything's falling into place. Jesus Christ is coming. He's going to be here soon. And he very well might be. Everything has already fallen into place for Jesus Christ to come. Nothing else has to happen prophecy-wise for Jesus Christ to come back. But they were saying that 2,000 years ago. And now here we are 2,000 years later saying the exact same thing. And it may be that he doesn't come for another 2,000 years, but he might come in two minutes. The coming of Jesus Christ is at hand. If all the verses we read and mention were not enough, then let me share with you one more in Luke chapter 21, verse 34. And take heed to yourselves, 
Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. When I was in high school, they took us to Oklahoma, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, to do some survival training. And just teach us how to survive in the middle of the woods. And we had nothing. We had no tents. We had, we had a sleeping bag and a pillow and a little pack with some clothes in it. And that's all we took with us. And we spent about eight or nine days in the woods. And a couple of the assistant pastors had done some survival training. And so they decided that they were going to teach us some of the things that they knew. And one of the things that they taught us how to do was how to catch some food. And so all you needed is a little bit of string. And you could take a, you could take a stick with a little hook on it and pound that down into the ground. Take another little stick with a hook going the other way that was tied to a tree that was pulled down. And then you take a little bit of a loop and lay it on the ground and hope that a rabbit or something like that comes walking by. And when they step into that thing and it, and it wraps around their foot and it knocks that hook off of there and they end up swinging from a tree, you're able to go get it. If that rabbit knew that that snare was there, he would avoid it. But it happened so quick, I can imagine, like, like, uh, like Bray Rabbit. Right? Had no idea that that was going to happen. And in an instant, that snare lifted him up into the tree. And that's exactly the way that Jesus Christ is going to come. If you knew it was there, you'd prepare for it. You'd be ready for it. You'd get right. You'd get everything taken care of. You'd know for sure that you were saved. You would, you would make sure that your heart is right with God. But he comes like a snare. It happens so fast that we're not ready for it. And the Bible says it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. That's faster than you can blink. He's coming. He's coming. Notice these commands. Take heed to yourself. Your heart will be overcharged with eating and drinking and the cares of this life, and so that day will come upon you unawares. Most people are not going to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. My job is to make sure you are ready for when he comes. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning. You better get your heart right with God. You better get your life right with God. He could be here this afternoon. He could come tonight. He could come tomorrow. And you think you have time. Oh, I'll, I'll get those things taken care of when I'm ready. I'll get those things. I know I've got to change that stuff. I'll change it. I'll get it right. I'll be ready for when he comes back. But you don't know when he's coming. And it's going to come like a snare. And you're going to be like a rabbit getting his foot caught. And you're going to be swinging from a tree. Not right with God. Beg every Christian, lay aside the cares and the covetousness and the pleasures of this world that would prevent you from being happy when Jesus Christ comes back. So many people are concerned about being happy in this life. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be happy. I'm not saying that we shouldn't enjoy some of the pleasures that we have in this life. But so many people focus so much on those pleasures that they're going to be so disappointed when Jesus Christ comes back. I want to be disappointed with what I have in this life and be excited to see Jesus Christ coming through those clouds. There's nothing that should keep us from getting right with God. I've said it before, but you're as right with God right now as you want to be. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I have so, I have so much farther to go. I have, I have so many things that I want to do. I, 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 I have so many things that I want to get right. No, you don't, or you would. You are as right with God right now as you want to be. Because if you really wanted to be right with God, you would be. Most people would argue that they want to be right with God. Where do I start? Get down to the old-fashioned altar and let it go. Let go of that sin. Let go of the things that are holding you back. 
well, I, I, I don't read my Bible enough. I, I, I want to start reading the Bible, but I don't know where to start. Start reading the Bible. I need to, I need to have a prayer life. Start praying. I need to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I just Go tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Where do you start? You just start doing it. Just start doing it. Well, I need to get in church. Then go to church. Just go. You've got to start somewhere, and you just start doing it. That's how you start. That's where you start. Just start doing it. I need to get right with God. Then just get right with God. Set aside those things that you think you can't live without and watch God bless your life. Watch God do things for you. Watch God do miracles. Watch him bless you for living for him. That'll get you motivated to continue to do what's right. That'll get you motivated to continue to find those things that I need to root out of my life. Just root them out. Take them out, right? How many times do you, you, you say, you know, you walk past your flower bed and you say, man, all those weeds, I got to get those weeds out, right? And then you walk past the next time and say, man, all those weeds, I got to get those weeds out, except they're three inches taller this time, right? And you walk by again, man, all those weeds, I got to get those weeds out. How do you get the weeds out? By talking about it? By walking past it and looking at it? No, you get down on your knees and you start pulling weeds, right? That's how you get the weeds out. That's the same way that we got to do it with sin. Oh, I got all this stuff. I need to get that taken care of. Man, I need to stop doing that. I got to stop. I got to stop. I got to stop. Just stop. Ask the Lord for his help. Do you think that he doesn't want you to be right with him? Do you think that he won't give you help if you want to be right? Of course he'll help you. Church is asleep, and most Christians in the church are asleep. We've been lulled to sleep in our churches by, by easy listening music, by light shows and fog machines, and by, by soft preaching, by soft pastors. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. You accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, but he didn't take you directly to heaven. But you know what? We're closer to heaven today than we were when we got saved. And he's saying, wake up. Wake up. The church is a sleeping giant. Could you imagine if the church of God awoke today? We are a giant, and we are a force to be reckoned with, but a giant is worthless if it's asleep. But here we are, a giant that, could, that, that would be a force to be reckoned with in this world, and we're asleep. Every church wants a great pastor, and so they find one that requires them to be great Christians. They either leave that church or they run the pastor out. I'm not here trying to be rude or mean or angry, but I, I want you, I need you to see the urgency of getting right with God because Jesus Christ is coming back. And this world needs us to be right with God so that we'll get on fire and share the message that he's coming. The messengers are asleep. The enemy's on its way. They're coming to destroy us. They're coming to destroy everything that has to do with any semblance of Jesus Christ, any semblance of Christianity, and the messengers are asleep. We are the messengers. We need to be awake. We need to be alive. We need to be on fire for God. We could spend a lot more time on this, but we'll move on to the last point. This could be the day that you get saved. This could be the day that you get right. And the point of the whole message up to this point, the source of our encouragement is that this could be the day that Jesus Christ returns. Turn over to Luke chapter 21. It was constantly in the mind of Paul that Jesus Christ could come, possibly in his lifetime. And so he looked for him steadily. And when Paul wrote about the rapture of the saints, 
He wrote of himself as being among the living. For, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17 is a very familiar verse to you. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds. We, Paul included himself in there. He was looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things in this world today that give us pause or may, or may cause us to be a little bit afraid. But let me call your attention to Luke chapter 21 again. In verse number 8, the Bible says, And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them? But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must come, must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. And he said unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you, and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues, and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And ye shall be betrayed both by parent and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. Verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Boy, if that's not exactly what's happening in this world today. Pestilences and famines and, and distress and wars and rumors of wars and nation rising against nation. We're seeing it everywhere. He says, look, there's going to be, there's going to be some persecution. Some of you are going to be betrayed by your own family. Some of you are going to be put to death. Some of you are going to face some things that you never thought would come. But hey, hey, that's exciting news. Because when you start seeing those things happen... Look up, Jesus Christ is coming back. Your redemption draweth nigh. Boy, what an exciting thing that is. That's both wonderful and terrifying news. Wonderful because I'm looking forward to Jesus Christ coming back, but terrifying because that means I better be ready because he could come at any moment. Today could be our last, so we better live like it is. Do you live in light of eternity? Most people, most Christians live for now. What can I do right now that's going to make me the most happy? What can I do right now that's going to make my life the easiest? What can I do right now to make everything enjoyable and they don't think about eternity? Are you living today like you could be in eternity tonight? He's coming. And that should stir us into more soul winning. should stir us into more evangelism. It should stir us into more missions. We should give more. Tell you what, your money, it's not going to be worth anything on the day that Jesus Christ comes back. It's only valuable if we've given it to the cause of Jesus Christ. We should go more. We should be itching for opportunities to tell the lost about Jesus Christ. We should entreat more. Beg them to accept Jesus Christ before it's too late. Oh, that the church would arise with a renewed vision and a renewed desire to see as many souls saved and lives changed as we possibly can with the time that we have left. And time is short. That clock is ticking. 
Only Brother Bill knows what's left on that clock. And the same is true. Only God knows how much time is left on that clock. But we better be ready. Because when that thing goes off, Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, it's too late to get right with him. Too late to, too late to go tell your neighbor about Jesus Christ. Too late to share the message of the gospel with your family. Too late to get saved if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. John, the beloved apostle, was allowed to use the impassioned and spirit-directed uh, writing of his in the book of Revelation. When he cried out in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 20, even so, come, Lord Jesus. He knew what the end was going to be. He saw it all. He wrote about it all the way through the book of Revelation. He said, this is prophecy. This is what's going to happen. And he said, man, Lord Jesus, you just need to come. And I'm looking forward to that day. What a plea. What a prayer. Christian, take heed. Watch and pray. Don't lose your testimony. Don't be, don't be too busy about making money. Don't get too absorbed in pleasure. Paul says, look for Jesus Christ and then live like he could come today. And you'll not be ashamed before him at his coming. And sinner, are you ready for Jesus to come? If not, only one thing will make you ready, and that's for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. You're never going to be ready for Jesus Christ to come if you don't know him as your Savior. For those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, when he comes, he's going to be their Redeemer. He's going to be their Savior. For those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, when he comes, he's going to be their judge. Is he your Savior or your judge? You believe that Jesus is coming. The way you prove that is to win souls. Separate yourself from the wickedness of the world. Let your light shine while you can. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24 one more time. When I used to wrestle, in fact, Brother Brian and I and my two boys went to a wrestling tournament yesterday at the Meadow Event Park. I haven't been to a wrestling tournament in years. But when I used to wrestle, and we loved it, we grew up doing it, and I, man, I'm telling you what, I, Brian knew too, I was getting excited when we started getting closer to, uh, started getting closer to Meadow Event Park, and you see these cars with young boys in there that you know are wrestlers, and we get out, we stopped at the gas station, and there was a family in there, and a bunch of these little boys running around, I said, man, those are wrestlers, and you could just tell by looking at them, you know, and I started getting excited, because I like to go, I like to watch the wrestling and all of that stuff, but when I used to wrestle, the referee would call each of the wrestlers to the mat, and one would have a green band wrapped around their ankle. The other one would have a red band wrapped around their ankle. And they would, they would get there, and they would face each other. And he'd say, red, are you ready? Green, are you ready? And they would both nod, and then he would blow the whistle, and the match would start. And so the same is true with an, with an earnest heart today. To every person here in this morning, I'm calling you, are you ready, Christian? Are you ready, sinner? Matthew 24, verse 42. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. It will not make much difference, friend, a hundred years from now. If you live in a stately mansion or on a floating river scow, if the clothes you wear are tailor-made or pieced together somehow, if you eat big steaks or beans and cake a hundred years from now, it won't matter about your bank account or the make of the car you drive or the grave will claim your riches and the things for which you strive. There's a deadline we all must meet, and no one will turn up late. 
It won't matter then all the places you've been. Each one will keep that date. We'll only have an eternity what we gave away on earth. When we go to the grave, we can only save the things of eternal worth. What matters, friend, the earthly gain for which some men always bow? For your destiny will be sealed, you see, a hundred years from now. Your destiny might be sealed five years from now. Your destiny might be sealed five months or five weeks from now. Your destiny might be sealed in five minutes. The truth is you don't know. And whether death takes you or Jesus Christ comes back, the end is soon. Even if you live to be 100 years old, that's not a long time in the timeline of eternity. We only have this life to make account for Jesus Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tonight. But I do know this. This could be the day you get saved. This could be the day you get right. This could be the day that the Lord returns. If you need to make it right, the time is now. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness to us. I thank you for the time that you have given us. Thank you for allowing me to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't deserve it, didn't deserve it, still don't, but because of your love, you allowed somebody to share the gospel with me, and I was able to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I don't have to fear death. I'm so thankful that I don't have to fear whatever happens in this world. I don't have to fear whatever happens in this life, because I know that the moment I stop breathing in this world, I'm going to take my first breath in the next. And it's going to be with you. I thank you for that comfort. I pray that if there is anybody in here this morning that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, does not know for sure that Jesus Christ is their Savior, does not know for sure that their eternity is settled, she convict their hearts in such a strong and mighty way that they can do nothing but accept you as their Savior. I pray that if there is somebody in here this morning that's in that situation, that they'd step out and come forward. Let somebody take the Bible and show them how they can be saved. But God, for those that are in here that are saved, and I believe that's probably the majority of people in here this morning, I pray that you'd help us to be right with you. I pray that there'd be nothing between our souls and the Savior so that his blessed face may be seen. I pray that you'd help us to see you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to put aside the petty things that we think we can't let go of so that we might be right with you, so that we might be ready for the moment you call us home. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Pray that it be the prayer of every single person in this room, and not just because we're saying it, but because we're ready. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want